0: Here on American Family Radio. I am Peter Rosenberger, and I am glad that you're with me as we delve into how to strengthen the family caregiver. And I'm glad to be on this journey with you and me. We're both caregivers. And how do we stay strong and healthy while taking care of someone who is not? That's the purpose of this program. What does that look like? How do we find solid ground in the midst of shifting sand? How do we stand firm when it seems like it is just nuts around us? And that's what this program is all about. Glad to have you here. Hopeforthecaregiver.com Hopeforthecaregiver.com Have you ever wondered why people keep certain individuals in places of authority and power and prominence when they are impaired? Now, we see this, of course, in politics. We see this in the entertainment industry when you see a rock star going out on stage or sometimes stumbling out on stage. The recent movie about Elvis was a perfect example of what was happening to this amazing entertainer, but he was being pumped full of drugs and pushed out on stage in order to support Colonel Tom Parker, or whatever, however you wanna look into the story. But the point is is the guy should have been in a hospital and he should have been well cared for, rested, taking a break, whatever, but he kept being pushed out on stage. Well, what goes on with that? And I've got an article I've put out there at my Substack page, and I put this on their website and everything else, and you can go out to Substack if you want, caregiver.substack.com. Substack is kind of an online, open-source newsletter type of environment where people can go and write without the filtering of the media and editors and so forth. And I have a page out there, caregiver.substack.com, and I put podcasts, recordings, Articles, all kinds of things that I like to write and do. And I put it out there. You're welcome to check it out. Caregiver.substack.com. And I've got a new article out there. From Presidents to Celebrities. The Struggle of Enabling Impaired Loved Ones. And the subtitle is Exploring the Complexities and Challenges Faced by Families and Handlers of High-Profile Individuals Exhibiting Cognitive Decline. And I was inspired to write this, not by necessarily current events, even though that does play a role into it, but years ago, the late Strom Thurmond, and I'll read some of this to you here, the late Strom Thurmond, you remember him, Republican from South Carolina, I'm from South Carolina, he was my senator growing up, he was at a reception, and he was observed very happily, pocketing buffalo wings into his suit pocket, and the sauce was dripping from that suit jacket pocket, And aides quickly rushed to his side to steer him away from the buffet and clean up the mess. But at the time, he was in his 90s, and he was the president pro tem of the Senate, which means he was fourth in line to the presidency. Now, think about that. Now, granted, the odds of something happening can be a bit high, that's that something that, that he would have at that time become president. But think about what happened at 9/11. They almost decapitated the government. That was the plan. So in 2010, uh, I don't know if you remember this or not representative Hank Johnson. He was uh, from Georgia, and he, he became a punchline when he was expressing his concern during a hearing. okay this is a, it's in the congressional record where he was concerned that the island of Guam, would tip over and capsize if we put too many marines on it and he was serious everybody else said oh he was joking no he he was serious he thought the island was going to tip over and and so you got guys in office that are exhibiting really aberrant behavior why are they there you could go back into our history with this Uh, edith wilson she covered extensively for woodrow wilson he had had some type of neurological event, and I think he was pretty much incapacitated. And she wrote later on, uh, here's a quote, So began my stewardship. I studied every paper sent from the different secretaries or senators and tried to digest and present in tabloid form the things that, despite my vigilance, had to go to the president. I myself never made a single decision regarding the disposition of public affairs. The only decision that was mine was what was important and what was not and the very important decisions of when to present matters to my husband. And that's what Edith Wilson said about her husband, Woodrow Wilson. Now, what's wrong with that statement? She said, I didn't make any of the important matters to state. All I did was decide which goes to him. Well, that in itself shows that she was meddling. Nobody elected her to decide what goes to the president's desk. And so this is what is happening around... The world, this is the human condition. You can go all the way back to Daniel chapter 4. And I don't know if you remember that story or not with Nebuchadnezzar. And he was kind of parading around looking at all his greatness and said, look what I've done, look what I've done. And in verse 31, the words were no sooner out of his mouth than a voice from heaven spoke. This is the verdict on you, King Nebuchadnezzar. And your kingdom will be taken from you. You'll be driven out of human company. You'll live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like an ox. And this is for seven seasons. Enough time for to learn that the high God rules the human kingdoms and put whoever he wishes in charge. And Nebuchadnezzar was driven out and he lived like an animal. Out there, he ate grass, his hair grew out, his nails grew out. And eventually, though he came to a census after seven seasons, he was restored to authority and he um, basically glorified God after that and realized he was a little bit more humble, if you will. But you got to kind of think about what was going on with all of his prime ministers and everything else while he was out there eating grass. How's the king today? Well, he's out in the stable, you know, kind of thing. And that's one of those things where there was a decree from God. People knew what was going on. They knew also it had a time limit on it. But look at other places in history, the madness of King George. They made a movie about it, of of what he struggled with. History is filled with people who are in power, who slip, who start declining. And yet people around them keep them propped up. Why? Now, you've heard me talk about this on this program, fear, obligation, and guilt, the fog of caregivers. And this is what happens to us. We become disoriented. Those of us in a relationship with somebody who has a cognitive impairment or any type of impairment for that matter. But particularly, let's just talk about cognitive today. And that fear, obligation, and guilt disorients us. We we just get lost in the fog. I'm going to add one more today. I'm going to add an extra G. So you have fog with two Gs. What do you think that second G stands for when it comes to enabling people with cognitive impairments who are in positions of power and money? Well, of course, it's greed. Why else would you put somebody who clearly cannot function for the job into the job? So is the problem the person with the impairment or is the problem with the people around them who are using them? I can make a case for it, that they are abusing them in order to achieve their own selfish desires. This is certainly not a problem that's unique to Americans, but we have it on parade a lot here in this country. And again, look at rock stars and so forth who are who are staggering out on stage while they're drinking and, and filled with drugs and their life is a wreck. And yet the show's got to go on. People got to make money. The band's got to make a living. And the outcome is tragic. Because eventually this person will implode. They will self destruct. But the question is, how much damage will they do before that happens to themselves and to others? And you look at the people around them, and it's not a question of wondering why they're doing it. It's clear why they're doing it, it feeds their own purposes love and respect and honor and dignity, they're out the window. This is pure greed, lust, avarice. This is selfishness on a level that is breathtaking, that to allow somebody with clear cognitive decline to keep stumbling out on stage, just so you can get a piece of legislation or an advancing agenda or get a paycheck or whatever else. This is not like a situation again with Nebuchadnezzar where God decreed it and this is going to be his episodic event here to humble him. These are people who are not gonna come back from this until they get some real help or that they leave the stage permanently. And again, I look at Strom Thurmond. Why was he a senator in his 90s? Look at Diane Feinstein. So we're going to talk about that extra G with the fog of caregivers when we come back from the break. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Let's not be like that when it comes to a loved one's cognitive decline. Let's show that we love them by doing what is necessary to protect them, even if it costs us. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back.
1: Hi, this is Miki Addison, inviting you to join me, my husband Will, and our kids at the Ark. We'll also be joined by Wesley and Walker Wildman and their families as we host AFA at the Ark October 26th and 27th. We'll have special presentations from Brian Osborne and Ken Ham, the founder of Answers in Genesis and creator of the Ark Encounter.
2: You know, with God, nothing is impossible. That's what his word says. I see God's hand in just so many miraculous ways.
1: AFA has reserved a block of rooms at the Marriott Cincinnati Airport Hotel to be available at a discounted rate, including several meals. What an opportunity for fellowship. We'll also have presentations and panel discussions with the Addisons and Wildmans, as well as worship together. Space is limited. You can learn more and register at marriagefamilylife.net. That's marriagefamilylife.net. It's AFA at the Ark, and I hope to see you there.
2: The Word of God tells us many times in one form or another, fear not. Today in the world, many people are very fearful about some of the many perils and dangerous happenings that are going on in the world. Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 tell us, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. I'm Joseph Parker, and we here at the American Family Association would like to remind you, fear not, put your trust in the Lord. We'd like to both encourage and challenge you to aggressively put your faith to work. And one way to do that is to pray Psalm 91 daily for yourself and your family and keep your trust in Him. If you'd like to get a copy of the Psalm 91 prayer for yourself, email us here at psalm91 at afa.net. Again, that's psalm91 at afa.net.
0: Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver where we talk about all things caregiver on this program. And I speak fluent caregiver. After nearly 40 years, I think I've learned the language. Hope for the Caregiver.com. Hope for the I'm talking about an article I have out on my Substack page, caregiver.substack.com. And it's about those who. Enable impaired loved ones from presidents to celebrities. And I explore the complexities and challenges faced by families and handlers of high profile individuals exhibiting cognitive decline. And as I referenced in the last block, you know, Strom Thurmond filling up his suit coat pocket with buffalo wings. Hank Johnson, who still, I believe, a member of Congress, thought the island of Guam was going to tip over. Edith Wilson decided she was going to step in and run the country while her husband was basically, I, I from what I understand, he was extremely impaired. I do not even know that he was lucid and we can go through all kinds of folks that have done this. Now there's some people have done it right. One of those is Glenn Kamboff had uh, his widow. Kim has been on this program and Glenn, oh, they live down the road from us in Nashville, about a, I mean, not even a half a mile. And he once he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, he actually did a tour, but he told everybody, I have Alzheimer's. And they brought awareness to this. They did a documentary. If you get a chance to watch the documentary, I would recommend it. It's called I'll Be Me. And it's, it's really well done because he's not celebrating dysfunction. He's saying, this is the sunset of my life, but my music is still there. And this, the music was the last to go, basically. And it was tough. I mean, his, he had a daughter traveling with him and they had to um, kind of keep it on the rails on stage. But boy, when he was playing his guitar, man, it was just, it was stunning. But what it did was to encourage families with Alzheimer's that this is, you know, this is what it is, but we're not going to try to sweep it under the rug. He, he brought it out on stage and said, this is who I am. This is what I'm dealing with. And I want to bring awareness to this. And God bless him. It's, it's a powerful story. Um, I'm watching what happened with Bruce Willis. They had to pull him out of the public eye. And he, I'm sure, had plenty of movies still ahead of him. But it was time to step away. It was getting dangerous on the set. And his behavior was erratic. I wrote about that a while back in, in another article. Ronald Reagan left the public eye. He saw that cognitive decline was coming, and he penned a letter to the United States to say, Goodbye. And you know, I look at Billy Graham stepping off the stage, you know, with Parkinson's, and and so even though he did preach one last sermon, his final public sermon on on his, um, I think it was on his 95th birthday, and he had that one passion and plea for people to accept Christ, and and then he stepped off the stage. It's hard to do that for people, particularly those who have been in the limelight and i get that and it's hard for the families and you've got to make tough decisions but if we're compensating for them we'll say well he's just tired or she's got a lot on her there's a lot of pain or he's just eccentric that's the way he always is you know how healthy is this and yet we could see sign after sign after sign of this and as i referenced in the last blog diane feinstein Do you feel that she should be functioning as a U.S. senator? Fetterman from Pennsylvania. I mean, what are your thoughts? Joe Biden in the White House. What are your thoughts? At some point, somebody has to ask hard questions, and you you have to stop looking at the person and look at the people around that person. What's going on with that? And that fear, obligation, and guilt, that fog of caregivers that we get into, I have. I've added a G to it greed. There are people who simply are so greedy and so filled with a lust for power and avarice that they will abuse somebody who is clearly impaired just so they can accomplish their personal, selfish, self centered. Self-aggrandizement, whatever goes. Strom Thurmond had no business being a senator. Stuffing buffalo wings into a suit pocket. Come on. Under Dianne Feinstein's watch, she's had a, spy, a Chinese spy there for 20 years. Driving her car. I mean, you know, at some point we have to demand that the people who are entrusted with enormous power be competent and that the people around them be held to account. It's no, there's no sin in having decline. That's part of the fall. Well, I mean, there is sin, you know, I guess, if you look at it from a theological standpoint. Yeah, it's part of the curse of the fall. But I mean, you're not making a choice to, you know, commit some type of moral infraction by aging and having cognitive impairments. You don't have any control over that. But the people around you who are fomenting this so that they can get the paycheck or the fame or the agenda or the legislation or whatever that's driving this it doesn't just go with cognitive impairments. That's where we're focusing on today. But look at moral impairments. Look at all the stuff that goes on that we're put through as a country, as a people, in churches or whatever, because somebody's looking the other way. Enabling is a terrible affliction of the human condition. We're all guilty of it. Sometimes we do it out of compassion, out of nostalgia. Sometimes we're in the bubble and it's hard to see clearly. Again, that fog of caregivers. But when you see greed on parade just to keep it propped up, that is something that I think that for me, at least, it makes my blood boil. That's just outrageous. Have the self-respect and the dignity, and the honor, the duty, the love, the patriotism, whatever you want to call it. But have the character to protect someone who is struggling. With Elvis, there was money involved. That was a paycheck. But when you have elected officials, there's national security involved. People can be truly harmed when you have somebody with their hand on levers of power and they are impaired there's real danger here serious danger and you think well there's people around that can no no no. think about the effort that's being made to shield that when you're dealing with the kind of issues we're dealing with as a global community now this thing in Ukraine and what's going on with Russia and China, you got internal wars, you got Sweden, Turkey, NATO, all these things happening right now. It's in real time and it is fast. And you got somebody who basically can't function to be able to read read the room and do these things, and he's depending on aides and assistants who are so busy trying to cover for them that they're not solving problems. They're just advancing an agenda or whatever else people are going to get hurt. We've got a porous southern border. People are coming across in droves, bringing what with them? That's the question. Who's coming and what are they bringing? What's happening? Real people are getting hurt because we have leaders who are not capable of fulfilling the duties of their office And we've got sycophantic people around them that are propping them up in order to further an agenda. Scripture states very clearly that we are to be model citizens as believers, as Christians. Whatever country that the state, quote unquote, is still under the sovereignty of God. The rulers are appointed by God and God instructs us very clearly that we function as model citizens. We obey the speed limit. We vote. We pay our taxes. We We bend over backwards to be model citizens because we want to be submissive knowing that God established that government. Whether we like it or not, he did it. He established it. He turns the king's head. This is what scripture teaches. The function of the state, of a state entity, organization, a civil government, is to protect the lives and the property of its citizens and ensure justice. As Scripture lays out, we as believers are to submit to the state so that we can live more peacefully. But when the state fails or turns from its God-ordained purpose, then we as believers do have a responsibility to stand up and be outraged. And we have... Responsibilities to vote, to contact legislators, to be involved, to say this must not occur. Justice must reign. No issue represents this injustice and this craziness more than the issue of abortion. And this evil promulgated under our watch, those of us of a certain age, We have a duty and a responsibility to continue fighting this while Roe versus Wade is struck down. And I'm very grateful for that. So grateful. Our work is not done. This issue, by the way, of abortion is so important that they will put people in power who are cognitively impaired just to keep that issue in the forefront. Don't take my word for it. Just go look at the headlines. Go look at the articles. Go look at the news. Go Google it. It's out there that the reason why these people are doing what they're doing is so they can push the agenda of abortion, get it back, get it codified nationally and make a national law, all these kinds of things. When you see two tiers of justice, and the people, Scripture says, where there's no justice, the people groan. When the evil rule. the people groan. When you see two tiers of justice, one for these kinds of people and one for these kinds of people, And then you've got the people in places of power who could change that who are cognitively impaired. And you've got people around them that are propping them up and enabling them because of that second G in the fog of caregivers, greed. What is our responsibility? We may not be able to affect the halls of power in in D.C. or in various states around the country. But we have a responsibility to do what it is at our hand to do. We certainly have a responsibility to vote and make our voices heard. We live in a free country where we can do that. While it's still free, we must. And part of that is, is we also have to insist that those who have impairments are not pushed out on stage where they can wreak untold havoc just to satisfy the greed And the lust of the people waiting in the wings who want to push their own agenda, no matter what the cost. That is not how caregivers should act. I love AFR. You say it's on the radio, too? Here at American
3: Family Radio, we know that many people find their audio entertainment in other places than the radio. So our programming is available with the AFR app on Apple and Android devices, through Amazon Alexa, and now available on Roku.
0: I just love the podcasts.
3: That, too. American Family Radio, streaming our podcast, now available wherever you are. And we're on the radio. As
2: I say so repeatedly, the man, the Word of God is so rich. You read something, you read something, you've read it before, and then one time you read it and bam! Something comes out like a sugar rail in the Japs right in the eyes. Whoa, Lord, where, I didn't, where, did, I, where did that come
0: from? <laughs> the Hamilton Quarter with Abraham Hamilton III, weekday afternoons at 5 Central on American Family Radio, or grab the podcast at AFR.net.
3: This is Frank Affney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Out of the blue, President Biden yesterday called up elements of America's military reserves. What's up with that? Ostensibly, it is to shore up our forces in Europe, but are they meant for a shooting war in Ukraine without congressional approval or public support? Alternatively, are the reserves intended to paper over the military's acute recruiting crisis and its principal cause, Team Biden's deeply alienating Marxist makeover of our armed forces? Or is this a cynical gambit to induce the U.S. Senate to confirm General C.Q. Brown as the next Joint Chiefs Chairman and rubber stamp the promotion of other officers willing to sacrifice readiness and deterrence to so-called woke policies that undermine both? These possible motivations have one thing in common. They are likely to embolden our main enemy, the Chinese Communist Party, to believe it can wage war against us with impunity. This is Frank Gaffney.
0: Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Where's solid ground for you? Where do you stand when the waters come and when the wind is blowing and when you are feeling overwhelmed? What do you stand on? How do you know how to make good decisions for your loved one, for yourself? And as we said in the last two blocks, we have a plethora. And when I say plethora, I know that you feel that that means a lot. Oh, that's an old joke. We have a whole bunch, a plethora, a multitude, a uh, expansive number, if you will, of individuals, particularly in the public eye, who are enabling others for their own gain because their minds and their hearts are so drawn to self-fulfillment, whatever makes them feel good, whatever suits their purposes. The loved one is expendable at that point because if you're sending somebody out on stage who you know is pumped up on drugs or alcohol just for your own gain. If you're sending someone into the halls of power who you know has a cognitive impairment is slipping. If you are doing things such as that, you're not loving that person. And you're certainly not loving the people that they're trying to serve, entertain, or whatever. An airline would never allow, knowingly, a pilot who is cognitively impaired. That's why they have all types of vetting and screening. That's why if a, if a pilot shows up inebriated, there's training and safety precautions in play to make sure that pilot does not get in the cockpit of that plane. You usually, Gracie and I are, are first aboard because it's a little bit challenging to get her on the plane. When we're doing so, we have close proximity to the pilots and the flight crew. And I promise you, if I smelled alcohol on any of them, I would immediately say something. And I would exit that plane until that individual is properly escorted off. I'm not going to put Gracie's or my life in the hands of an impaired airline pilot. Why would I do that with somebody who can command the military, men and women with guns? Why would we as a nation do this, whether it's a city official, a mayor, or even the President of the United States? Why would we do such a thing as people? Are we? Are we putting this nation's economy... And military strength, security, national security. Are we putting all of this at risk by having individuals who are impaired beyond the ability to make good, healthy choices and are being handled and run by other people? Are we putting our cities and our states in those kinds of situations? I knew of a guy who was a state senator back in Tennessee. He would sit there and preside over meetings, take out a comb, comb his hair. And then pick his teeth with the comb. And that was one of the milder things he did. He was not a well man, and yet he was an institution. And so, therefore, he was kept propped up, like I mentioned earlier about Strom Thurmond. And I think that as a country, we, we have to decide that we, this is not acceptable. And the person to talk to is not the elected official or even the rock star or whatever, the actor, whatever. The person to talk to is the family. And if you have families that are being enablers, that's going to be a little bit challenging for us. But if enough people say something, then things may change. But we still have a responsibility to say something, even if they don't change. We don't get a free pass to be quiet and say nothing about it just because we can't guarantee results. Ultimately, that's in God's hands, but we have a responsibility. And so when I see individuals who exhibit Alarming behavior. I don't look at that person. I see the people around them who have to know the wife, the family members, the brother, sister, whatever, doesn't matter. They know. Do you not think for one moment that everybody in the band and everybody around Elvis knew what was going on? Do you not think for one moment? That everybody in the halls of power knew that Edith Wilson was basically running the country de facto instead of her husband. Do you, I mean, I can just go down the list. If you want, I'll go up to current events. But I think you get the point. So we got to say something, but who do we say something to? And I think it always comes back to the caregiver. The person who is there, whether they're functioning as a healthy caregiver or not, is not the issue. The elected official may be dealing with dementia, may be dealing with Alzheimer's or a host of other things. They're the ones that are not necessarily aware of what's going on with them. Addiction, by the way, is a disease that convinces you that you don't have it. So if you got somebody who's an addict, you're not going to reason with them. But you don't have to enable them. But the caregiver, the ones in the wings, the only impairment they're dealing with is their own greed because they know this is happening. Now, I know too many families who are wringing their hands because they don't know what to do with the loved one, but they recognize that there is a problem and they're trying to mitigate as best as they can. And I understand that. And this program is designed to help them find solid ground to stand on as they collect their wits and their, just catch their breath and try to figure out, okay, how do we do this? How do we transition mom or dad out of the car? How do we say it's time to retire? How do we say it's time to you know exit the stage, so to speak? Asking how to do something is far different from denying that there's a problem and keep on pushing out In order to gain more trinkets, more money, more power, more legislation, a more of a majority in the House or the Senate, whatever the trinket or the bauble that you are selling out your impaired loved one for, denying that they have a problem, covering it up and enabling willfully for personal gain is heartbreakingly cruel and abominable. And so I ask you to look at individuals that you see paraded out in the public eye and ask, is there something wrong? And if there is, who do we look to at that point? Who should the pressure be put on to say it's time to stop? It's time to walk off and go home. Now, to be fair, this syndrome is not limited to people in high-profile places. But it seems to be on parade as of late. And I look at the same people you do and I look at the same news footage that you see. And I see people enabling an impairment and covering up for it, just like Edith Wilson did for her husband, Woodrow Wilson. Hiding it from the public eye, as opposed to saying, you know what? Millions of families are dealing with this, and we understand their plight, and we want to draw attention to that, and it's time for us to step off and serve in a different way. There are a lot of ways to serve this country that don't require power and levers of power. We have serious problems in this world right now. We have serious problems in this country. We are over $30 trillion in debt. We say that number if we don't even, even hardly think about it. We just assume it. How in the world does that ever get resolved? When's the last time our country had a balanced budget? How about you? Do you and I have to have balanced budgets? When we don't hold leaders into account, they will keep pushing the line even to the point of putting someone in office who doesn't need to be there for their own safety. And when you got a guy that thinks the island of Guam is going to tip over, if you put too many marines on it when you got a guy that's fourth in line to the presidency who's stuffing his suit coat with barbecue wings and it's just dripping out and he's completely oblivious well he's actually happy about it he's just enjoying himself and he's 94 years old come on when you got a guy that can't put together three sentences because of a neurological event and doesn't know how to function in that regards as a u.s senator or elected official when somebody like the president exhibits certain behaviors in the way they walk carry themselves their gait the slurred speech the messed up words and there's a pattern of it it's one thing to do as a one-off even two or three but when there's a pattern of it do alarm bells go off for you this is not a political issue in the sense of, okay, I'm going after this guy. This is who's there. Now, who's responsible? Who's perpetuating this? And do we have a responsibility to say something as citizens of this country? As caregivers, do we have a responsibility to say something? Well, I think we do. And I think you and I as caregivers understand the Challenges when you have somebody who is exhibiting behavior that is aberrant or concerning or whatever. We've all been there. Who better than us to say something? Who better than a family member with somebody with an alcohol or addiction issue to be able to say, hey, that's an addictive behavior that I'm observing there. I've seen it. I've watched it. Who better? So maybe if enough caregivers say something, people may pay attention. I don't know. I'm doing what I can today to say there are some things that are very troubling that I see on the news every day. I'm not totally sure what I can do about it. I'm just one guy. I have a radio program, but that's about it. I write and I put things out there, and you're welcome to go out there and read it at my Substack page, caregiver.substack.com, and you you can see the article and see what you think. Share it with somebody. Share this broadcast with somebody. When I when I I'll put this out on the podcast, share that with somebody. And maybe if we introduce enough reason and common sense from a caregiver standpoint into the public dialogue, then we might be able to make some headway in this. The answer is always no until you ask. It's always a moot point until you try. So I'm saying something. And when it comes to the president, clearly there's an addict in the family that has been enabled for a lengthy period of time. Is he the only one who's been enabled? I'm not asking as a political pundit. I'm asking as a caregiver. And I think as an American citizen who is a caregiver, I think we can ask. So I'm asking. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back.
4: Have you ever struggled to trust God when lousy things happen to you? I'm Gracie Rosenberger, and in 1983, I experienced a horrific car accident, leading to 80 surgeries and both legs amputated. I questioned why God allowed something so brutal to happen to me. But over time, my questions changed, and I discovered courage to trust God. That understanding, along with an appreciation for quality prosthetic limbs, led me to establish Standing with Hope. For more than a dozen years, We've been working with the government of Ghana and West Africa, equipping and training local workers to build and maintain quality prosthetic limbs for their own people. On a regular basis, we purchase and ship equipment and supplies. And with the help of inmates in a Tennessee prison, we also recycle parts from donated limbs. All of this is to point others to Christ the source of my hope and strength. Please visit StandingWithHope.com to learn more and participate in lifting others up. That's StandingWithHope.com. I'm Gracie, and I am Standing With Hope.
3: Not a day passes without an opportunity to help a neighbor, friend, or relative. When was the last time you volunteered as a family? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. You might have a few good excuses as to why it doesn't happen. When can you actually get the entire family together at one time? And it's obvious that your teen would roll his eyes at the mention of volunteering. When you serve and care for others, you're not only helping someone in need, you're also passing on a tradition to your teenager. Times volunteering as a family will instill character and build lasting memories. So why not make the effort, gather the kids, and find a way to serve someone else. Start the tradition. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find helpful resources at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store.
0: Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. I'm Peter Rosenberger. Glad to have you with us. We've been talking about enabling in the high-profile world where people do this out of greed, out of avarice. But let me pivot just a little bit and say that all of us are easily subjected to this for whatever reason. Maybe it starts off with compassion. Maybe we get in over our heads. Whatever. Whatever. The point of it is, is there is a path out of this. And it always starts with boundaries. Healthy, healthy, healthy boundaries. Learning to say no. That I'm not going to participate in this. I heard a story the other day that uh, some high-profile pastor, some lady in her church, her husband, was just beating the crud out of her. And the pastor told her, said, you need to stay with him and pray for him. How do you feel about that? I was shocked. I was stunned. I'm not suggesting they divorce. I'm just suggesting she get out of the house. Or better yet, he gets out of the house. But that she gets to safety. Until this man is confronted. And maybe he has a problem. Maybe he's an alcoholic. Maybe he's an addict. I don't know. I don't know all the details. But sending her back in there to be a punching bag is horrific. That's just atrocious. And law enforcement needs to be involved, and this needs to be dealt with. And this is where the church can excel at this, to stand firm with people, to let them know that they don't have to be victimized like this over and over and over in the name of some kind of weird interpretation of spiritual authority. Well, the husband's ahead, and you have to be submissive, and just keep praying for him while he beats you up. Come on. Are we not better than this? Are we not smarter than this? Can we not read scripture better than this? You can rightly deduce that this is not of God. You're not going to allow a child to stay in that. Why would you allow a woman to stay in that? And I think we have a responsibility as believers to stand firm and give good, solid counsel to help direct people to safety. By sending that woman back into that environment, all they're doing is enabling an abuser. And as Dr. Langberg said, who's been on this program, Diane Langberg said, that's ministerial malpractice. If anything, the minister should stand between that woman and their abuser. And if law enforcement needs to be involved, so be it. But that woman needs to be protected. Children need to be protected. And in some kind of misguided understanding of or interpretation not even understanding but just misguided interpretation or application of scripture people somehow use that to promulgate this stuff it's just heartbreaking we can't do that we confront that's what the church does we confront jesus said we're the light of the world we're the salt of the earth well how much light and salt are we being to the darkness that is ever encroaching and again i'm saying all this as a caregiver as somebody who understands the traps that people fall into i get it i'm not speaking out of a vacuum here or just pulling my own opinion out of the air this is experience guided by intellect and reasoning and an understanding of what the Word of God says that says, no, I am not going to send somebody knowingly back into a situation where they can be harmed and others can be as well. And we'll pull children out of horrific circumstances. Sometimes, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we allow it to keep happening The number one movie in America, right now, deals with that very subject. It trounced everything else. I don't know how long it'll stay on top, but it's done beyond what anybody could imagine. The Sound of Freedom. I haven't seen it yet. I've heard quite a bit about it. And I'm planning on doing it. I just don't get to go to the movies very much, where we live. But this is about a man who did something if enough of us do something what are the implications if enough of us say something what are the implications and again i'm saying this as a caregiver i'm saying this as somebody who has walked through decades of my wrestling with my own inability to deal with this sort of thing, learning from it, watching with others, spending time with others. I I have spent a lot of time in this village. And I have seen people allow terrible things to happen to themselves and others because of an unwillingness to confront, an unwillingness to say something, embarrassment, shame, guilt, fear, whatever. But this enabling thing that gets us, we feel guilty and so we don't want to say anything. Let me tell you something. If you see somebody getting behind the wheel of the car and they are just drunker than Cooter Brown, are you going to say something? you going to call somebody? I think we have a responsibility, don't you? If you're riding in the car with somebody and they decide to start driving 80 miles an hour down the wrong way on an interstate, how long are you staying in the car? Yeah, the options aren't good if we tuck and roll. But the options aren't good if you hit a semi head-on either. And sometimes we may get banged up pretty hard. I get it. And nobody wants that. But what are the alternatives? What happens if we don't? This is the kind of thing that we need to ask ourselves. And as caregivers, we deal with this issue probably more than anyone else. How many of you all right now have an impaired loved one who should not be behind the wheel but is? How many of you right now have somebody you are struggling with who acts like a child but has adult consequences? How many of you all right now have somebody in your life who's an addict and has stolen, has abused, has hurt, has wreaked havoc on your family's life. What is the way out of this? Well, the only way is through boundaries. And you start setting firm boundaries that involve, at times, law enforcement. It may take several trips. Remember when I had a police officer on the program here and he said, you keep calling Even if they can't solve the problem, the day they come over there, you keep documenting that they came every single time. That's the only way out of many of these circumstances. Document it. Write it down. Set boundaries of what you will and will not do. And it will cost you. It is painful. It is hard. But this is why we have this program, so that we can build one another up and point to the one who sustains us in this. Doing the right thing is often very, very difficult. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But it's not. It's hard to stand up and say, something's wrong here. Something doesn't smell right. We're going to have to make some hard decisions. And I know that compassion and guilt and all these other things get in the way. And that's why we've got to go back to what? The Word of God. What does Scripture teach us about this? About learning to set boundaries even if somebody is choosing to walk away from the truth, you at least have the responsibility of having the conversation. Look at Jesus and the rich young ruler. And what did he say? Sell all you have, give to the poor. Now, there are many commentaries and sermons out there of what Jesus said and meant, and they unpack that, the implications. But the bottom line is... What Jesus offered he did not take and he walked away and Jesus let him walk away he grieved over it but he let him do it that's hard to hear isn't it because you want to picture Jesus as no 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 come on I'll give you another chance I'll give you another chance but Jesus is willing to let people fall God sets boundaries all the time he even turns them over to a reprobate mind says in scripture, he gives them over to the lust of their flesh. He's not doing this to reward them. But you remember the story of the prodigal son, when he came to himself, when he came to himself, sometimes it takes people getting into the pig pen before they can come to themselves and recognize that, wait a minute, something's wrong here. That's a boundary that we let people even go to the pig pen. We don't have to go there with them, but we're not called to stop them from doing it. Some people are just going to have to walk through these things until it hurts bad enough that they do what? That they cry out. And I have found in my experience that it is very difficult to cry out to a Savior that you don't think you need. And what do we have out here? As long as we have people enabling aberrant behavior, as long as we have people cushioning the blow for all the consequences of our sin and our destructive behavior, even our disease and our impairments, we're never going to cry out to a Savior now, when you have somebody in your family who has an impairment like Alzheimer's, it's not their fault. They can't do anything about it. But you don't have to put them behind the wheel of a car. You don't have to give them access to firearms. You don't have to give them access to weapons of any kind. You don't have to give them access to the levers of power in this country. It's called boundaries. And boundaries are one of the biggest parts of our journey as caregivers to living a healthier calmer, and dare I say it, a more joyful life. And that is hope for the caregiver. We got to go. Thanks for the time today. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll see you next time.
1: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. Faith.